Welcome back to Getting Started, the podcast series where I talk with five experts from the creative industries. This week, I talked to Willie Longmore, an actor and theatre director originally from Jamaica. I had a great time talking with Willie and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Hi Sam. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. How's yourself? Uh, I'm not bad. Um, so we're already recording and everything, so should we just get into it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, how are you, Willie? How is um, lockdown for you? I'm fine. I'm fine at the minute. Um, locked in nearly, but beginning to get out. I share a flat with, with a wife who has been asked to shield, so um, we don't have as much movement as we could possibly have. Now things are easing up, but we're all right. Uh, how has that affected your work? Have you been doing any projects while in lockdown or is everything sort of paused? Um, I've been doing a couple of things. We, uh, we um, Earlier on, the Royal Exchange were putting out some um, pieces of work that they'd been doing during the lockdown. And um, they'd convened a couple of panels to discuss the issues around the subjects. Mm. So, for example, they did early on, they did a, a piece with their elders group um, called Connect Fest. And then there was Winsome Pinnock's play, which should have been opening the day the day the lockdown happened in the theatre. play was due to open that night. So it, it was then broadcast on Radio 3. And then, so for each of those events, they convened a panel of people to discuss the issues around that. So I've been doing that. And um, I sit on a board here in Charlton on the, the Edge mm. Art Centre. And so our our board meetings have had to be by zoom and then i've been keeping in touch with my friends and my grandchildren on facetime every day sounds like you've been busy i just want to get right into it you were born in jamaica um and you from an early age you went from uh, becoming a teacher and then wanting to do an actor at 21 if i'm if i'm right um what was like that like for wanting to go from teaching to acting what was that thing that told you that um teaching wasn't for you and it was more you wanted to go down the acting route i think i think sam that the two of them have always gone side by side i don't mm. think i've ever thought one of those professions was better than the other or more satisfactory than the other um i started to teach in jamaica because there was no possibility of training to be an actor at that time there were no training schools in in jamaica and so i had to come to england to do it but while I was in Jamaica, I came across uh, a prospectus for a college in Sidcup called the Rose Bruford College. And in those days, they offered a dual course, a dual training in acting and teaching. Now, my father had been dead set against anything to do with the theater. Even when I was you know, at school and was doing all sorts of things with plays and stuff, he was dead set against it. So I had... I had to pretend I was coming to England to go to teacher training college, mm. which I was doing, but also there was an acting element in it too. So when I left college in 1968, there were very few opportunities for black actors in the theatre, and so I got a job teaching. In fact, I went back to the college I trained at to teach. And then from there on, um, because I was married and subsequently was a, a child, um, I needed to be earning money um and then about 77 i think we became very dissatisfied with living in london 
Um, and I started to look outside London for a job. And I came to Manchester in 77 to work in the drama department at Manchester University. And then I did that for four years. And then I began to think that all my life I'd wanted to be an actor. And I had never actually done it as my living. So at the ripe old age of 41, I left the university and left the cushy style of you know, a lecturer in a university and became an actor. And from then I worked, so about 10 years consistently, I worked as an actor. What was that like at 41? going into a new career path? Um, it was hard. It was hard work, too, because um, act, acting is not a, a profession that is um, constant. And for the first three years of, of my new life, I was lucky to join a company in Leeds called Leeds Theatre and Education Company, which worked consistently in schools for those three years. So if you like the cushion between a, a, a teacher um, with a regular salary was cushioned by these three years when I was earning money consistently. Mm. And then after three years, I became uh, a, a jobbing actor. Um, by then, I'd, I'd more or less recovered my ability to act. <laughs> Not having done it for such a long time, it became, um, I'd never stopped acting in a sense. You never do, I think. Mm. You know, your vocation remains with you forever. But by then I was much more practiced in creating work. And so when I was then freelancing as an actor after, uh, I think, 84, it was hard because you then had to take the job where it was. Yeah. So I was based in Manchester, but I had to travel all over the country to work. And that is hard because it means your home life is under severe stress sometimes, especially with children. Um, and so in a sense, it you had to stick to that notion that this is the thing you want to do above all else. And yeah. so your commitment is entirely to do with that work, you know? Yeah, completely. Um, I think it's interesting how your father was sort of disapproving of going in, into being an actor. What age did he find out that you were pursuing as a career path? Um, he discovered when he came to visit, he lived in New York, and he came to visit me in 1974 um, and by then we had our first child and he'd come to see her really see his grandchild mm. um, and he discovered that I'd been um, I'd, I'd been working as a freelance tutor in drama schools in London and he said that at that point he said to me you can still train to be a dentist <laughs> <laughs> Because my father had this decided that I have two sisters, and my father had decided that we should all do something professional, like yeah. you know, doctors or lawyers or things. It is a, it's a classic thing for Jamaican parents. Um, and he said, "You can still be a dentist," and and I, I thought, well, but when I then started to act, and I told him I was doing that, I was now not teaching anymore. I was going to be an actor. From that day on, until the day he died, he never mentioned it. Mm. He never ever referred to my life as an actor. I think a lot of people have a similar situation where the parents don't want them to have a life in either acting or any sort of creative art. If if you mm. were to touch, tell someone a younger actor any advice about that, about having sort of a parent who isn't completely faithful in in what they want to do, what would what advice would you give a young actor? 
I've always thought, even when I ran a, a course for actors, I've always thought that, uh, that an actor who really in their deepest heart wants to be an actor, there is nothing anybody can do to stop them doing it. If there is a will to do it. I don't mean the casual thing about fame and, you know, exposure mm. to me the media and stuff. I mean, really deep down, you want to be in a position in which you can make something happen for a live audience. That's the task for an actor, is to be able to create something that makes something happen for the live audience. You know, the recorded medium is fine, you know, television and film is fine, but the test for an actor is to be live in the space. And nothing will stop you doing that if that's what you want to do. I, and I used to advise parents who were worried about, you know, the ch their children going into acting. And I would say, fine, yes, make sure they get their A-levels so that they're qualified, you know. Yes, let them go to university if you can afford it. But there is nothing you can do to stop them if they want to be, to be actors. And therefore, your task is to be as nurturing and as supportive as you can be, because nothing will change. Mm. And the dedicated actor will work... Um, in any way that he or she can, will find ways to work. It's not just waiting to be given the job, you know, waiting for somebody else to give you a job. Yes, yes, of course, that's important. But in the end, it's your own effort yeah. that makes things happen. So I would say to a young actor starting out, if this is what you're going to do, and it must be for the rest of your life, if this is what you're going to do, then surround yourself with collaborators with whom you can work so that you can create work yourself and therefore you don't have to be, be dependent on other people to give you work. It's to do with the commitment to um, investigate as much as possible and as deeply as possible what that work will be. How committed are you to expose yourself to the real depth of emotion that has to be happening in a play, for example, or how willing are you to take risks outside what you think is comfortable for you or with which you're familiar? Um, I always think in all my work, I think I'm, I'm, I'm directing and I'm teaching at the same time. Those two skills really are very close, you know? Yeah. And when I embark upon a play, I'm thinking that I am to be for the next weeks in which we will work on it, I will be the guide for yeah. the actor to be able to create the best work they can do. So it's up to me. It's not about my concept of about what, what do I see as the play. It's about how do I want to create the environment in which the actor can find their best work. And sometimes you, you see something happen in a rehearsal or you see something even before that in the, in the audition process and you think, ah, that person is going beyond what is the surface meaning of the work. You can see something else is happening here. Some unknown thing is going on, which alerts you to a kind of thing in the, in the, in the actor, which is going beyond the surface level. That is very exciting. And if in the rehearsal you, you see people doing that as well, then your task as the director is to make that space safe for them to be able to create the work in the way they want. Given them the room to grow, I think that's really important. Do you think that's something that you experienced when you were yourself becoming an actor? The, the best work I ever did was with, work, with directors who allowed me the space to be able to be 
as creative as I can be. The worst experience I've had are directors who tell me what to do mm. and in very great detail. I would prefer to be working with a director who collaborates with the whole company really so that we all know what it is we're trying to do, but we're all given the space to explore and experiment. And that director also has to say to you when things are not going well. And also to help you to find out why things are not going well, rather than just to tell you do it like this or do it like that or go there and come there or sit there or stand there. That is not is not creating work to me. That is, is just dictating to somebody what your own idea is. A director can be challenged often by what they see as the way to interpret the text, if that's what they're doing. And a wise director will allow space for that to happen. But in the end, the director still has to say, actually, I'm in control. Mm. And that just doesn't fit what is going on here as far as I'm concerned in terms of the play. So that's why it's a collaboration, Sam. That is why mm. it's not a dictatorship. That is why the director, the company of actors, and anybody else involved, the designers, whoever involved, must be all creating within the same idea or the same environment for the work. Yeah, because obviously I'm doing directing for video and that kind of thing and film, short filming right now. And even now to this day, I'll still sort of, I'll line the shot up and stuff like that. And I'll still ask the rest of the crew, do you think that's looked okay? Are you happy with that? Mm. Because it's not one person's sole work, it's with a team. And I think if you don't have mm. that in mind, then it sort of becomes the project. I think people start to lose a bit of focus and people don't want it as much as sort of just one director. At the end of the day, you're not helping the director, you're working with the director. So I think that's a lot of that's right. important thing I think people don't even realise as actors and uh, that I've worked with. Um, I spent, what was it, oh, eight months at the National Theatre um, at, at a time in my career when um, everybody thought that if you arrived at the National Theatre, you had arrived at the summit of your ambition. Do you know, I didn't regard it as such. Um, the National Theatre in the 89, 90, whenever, when I was there, uh, was like a factory to me. Hmm. You know, we were on a treadmill, we were on an assembly line, we created work. And but the one thing is we spent months rehearsing, you know, and even then when we did have our, our preview, we had weeks of preview before we actually met what was the the audience if mm. you like that didn't seem to me to be a very interesting way to work really i thought i was just caught in in a great machine um i valued the experience of course because you were working with in an enormous company you were aware of how large how how complex the the whole building was you know and and our play was on the olivia stage which is the largest in the in the building mm. And it was an extraordinary experience to do. But by the time I'd got to the end of that, I wasn't asking to be kept on as everybody else was. I wanted to be free yeah. to go and do work in which exactly what we've been talking about, in which you feel you have a stake mm. in the work. You're not just there to just represent somebody else's idea that you can actually every night, Sam, that you go into the theater to create your work, you are creating something afresh and new and you're responding to the audience that you have that particular night you don't want to go in and the way the national theater works you don't play every night you play in repertoire so we would have days off or even sometimes weeks off and then you would come back to the thing and then it will feel as if it was some thing you had to warm up 
mm. you know, it's like putting something in the microwave, you had to reconstitute it. That's not the best way to work. I know other people found the national experience really good. It didn't suit me. What would you say the um, differences are between acting on stage and then acting for screen? Um, the intimacy of it, I think. Um, the camera is very close to you and you really are acting through the camera. Um, it's almost impossible to have a sense of who is going to be receiving it because you don't know. Um, you know if you're in television, for example, that you're going to be beamed to millions of people even or in, you know, in the film. But what you have to do is to remain absolutely clear and focused about what it is you're doing. And you have to embrace the camera in much the same way as you would embrace the audience. So rather than regarding it as a kind of intrusion on you, you have to create a sense of intimacy with it so that you feel as if you are embracing it. And therefore, out of that, you embrace the person who's watching. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, definitely. The difference, the difference is, of course, in, is, is entirely to do with projection. It's not about a style of acting that changes. It's about projection in, a, in, a, in an intimate studio theater. You could be acting to 100 people, 50 people, or even fewer. In a large theater like the, 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 the National Theater, you're acting to you know, hundreds of people. Um, on, on the mechanical media, you, you can't see the audience, as I say, mm. so you don't know what is, how, do, how are they constituting, and you're getting no response. In the theater, even if you're doing a deep tragedy or whatever, you're getting some response. The audience is live, you can feel them. Um, and so it's a question of degree, how to tailor your performance to the intimacy of the camera and the studio, and then how to enlarge your performance and share with a bigger space, a bigger audience. I would have said that the ideal actor is one who can embrace any medium and any opportunity that arises for work that you would take whatever the needs of the work is, the needs of the work are. Um, there are some people who spend their early career in uh, television and find it hard to transfer into the live work. And that sometimes is to do with the mechanics of the transference, the use of voice, the use of your physicality and all of that. Um, some people think acting for telly is easier because you, you know, you don't have to learn a role and perform for three hours in the night, you know, and I think that's a pity. We're also, uh, certain groups of actors are coming into, into the work who have only had experience of, of film and telly. And you wonder how in the future we're going to have a generation of actors who can actually sustain a five-act play, yeah. for example. Or how, how, how are the disciplines of the live work, which is to do with being absolutely spot on in the moment in which you play how is that to survive in a way you know but that is the test for the audience how to test for the actor how to negotiate mm. your way through the audience to what you think the play is saying now if it's merely something that is recorded and and then packaged and then delivered it's not quite the same thing so i'm not i'm not denigrating any medium really i think an actor must find his her place in any medium that suits them mm. but i think it's a shame when the the recorded medium take media take precedence over the live work because i think the live work in the end is always the test how do you think the acting has changed from back when you were learning to now yes it used to be said that um in we we 
actors of my generation would have been trained in the classic style, as it were. Mm. That means we were used to working with classic text, Shakespeare and all of that. Um, whereas now it feels as if the, the work is, is, is training is more contemporary in that they have to fit very much into the style of work in which they, they the work they will find. So it's much more geared towards television and recorded media and stuff. Um, and so in a sense, I feel that I had the best training at the time when I did it, you know, yeah. because it meant I could tackle a five act play. But also it meant that when the time came for me to do modern stuff, if you like, or contemporary work, I think I had the tools, as they say in our business, I had the tools to transfer from a classic delivery of a play to a more intimate and more colloquial delivery of a play. So that is all entirely to do with me and how I received my training. Do you know, and the fact that I refuse to be pigeonholed and to be categorized in any way, just as I have refused to be pigeonholed as a black person, you know, that I don't have to be a particular kind of person in order to be to be black. I, I have to be the person I am. Uh, and so th the difference perhaps nowadays is that some of that classic work is not as common or not being as given as much um, opportunities to for actors to work in that way maybe than they are now in the more contemporary work that's the difference i feel yeah, because many actors will say to you that their first job they expect to get will be on television mm. i think we're just about to run out of time so i have one more question um so yeah. before obviously i asked you if you had one piece of media whether it be inspired you for a particular project or a career in the arts what would your one inspiration be Oh God, if I had to give one answer. Um, there is one piece of verse that I think has lived with me since I was a child. Um, and that is a poem by John Keats um, called um, Ode on a Grecian Urn. And in the poem, uh, the, the, the poet or the onlooker is looking at a Greek vase. And on the face of the Greek vase is a series of scenes which are embedded in the clay in, in the pottery of the, of the vase. And he looks at this and he thinks that this will last forever, mm. that it will never change. And the sequences of events on the, on the vase will never change. The lover will always be happy. The, 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 the people coming out of the little town will always be happy. That will never change. And the poem is summed up in two lines uh, when the poet says, uh, beauty is truth, truth beauty that is all you know on earth and all you need to know and that's lived with me all my life and i still think that is a good a good thing to live with those two lines being adaptive in whatever line of work you want to go into is crucial the role you want isn't always the one available to you at that time but you never know it might come around to you again i'd like to thank willie for his chance to talk to me today my name is Sam Oddy. This was the Getting Started Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes.